Good morning. We're in the middle of a series where we're looking at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which actually, as we've talked about it, is his second letter. And when we think of Corinthians, there's two letters in the Bible. One equals two and two equals four. The first letter is really the second. He wrote one previous to it. And the second is really the fourth. And we're looking at that. And as we've talked about it, we've discussed the fact that Corinth was characterized as a city by the love of status and honor that attracted status-conscious yuppies. And the problem is Paul could see status-consciousness inching its way into the church, creating divisions. The problem wasn't that the church was in Corinth. The problem was that too much of Corinth was in the church. They were suffering from eye disease. We've talked about they had divided the church up into little cliques, I belong to Paul, some would say. I belong to Apollos, others would say. I belong to Cephas or Peter. I belong to Christ. They associated themselves with these high-profile figures, and their wisdom in associating with these figures they saw as a badge of honor and a measure of elevated status. Some of them said, if I belong to Paul, that trumps I belong to Peter, and that's the way kind of the church was relating to one another. They saw it as a mark of wisdom. Paul's problem is that there are two wisdoms, as he'll point out, and one of them empties the cross of power. What it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and we'll read through verse 16. All right. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. that There are two wisdoms, this human wisdom and divine wisdom. In Corinth, human wisdom was associated with eloquence. 
Human wisdom was forceful and impactful. Those who were articulate enough to convince people through the force of their arguments were the wise. And what was happening in the church, they were becoming critical of Paul, whom they did not see as being as eloquent or wise as they were. And Paul responds, and what he talks about, he talks about the fact that there is a difference between human wisdom and divine wisdom. He characterized divine wisdom as secret and hidden. The things that lie deep within the heart of God are not apparent. When they are seen and understood, it brings about a change. When they are not seen and understood, it brings about a condition as well. And Paul will go on to talk about that. It was secret and hidden, and so the rulers of this world, the political rulers in Israel and Rome, didn't understand this divine wisdom. If they had, they would not have crucified Christ. And Paul understood what it was like for something to be there before him and for him not to be able to understand it. He knew all too well how elusive Divine wisdom was. We don't know exactly how old Paul was, but sense is that he probably was around a decade younger than Jesus. Again, this is not, don't take this and, and put a nail in this. We, we don't know, but maybe he was younger than Jesus. So what that would have meant, he could well have been a disciple of Gamaliel. And what we've talked about, if you were a Jew and you went to school between the age of 6 and 10, and that's when you learned the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you're a good student, you went on to the second level of education between the ages of 10 and 14, when you learned the rest of the Old Testament. And if you were really smart and had a very exceptional mind, you were invited by a rabbi to become one of the rabbi's disciples, coming under the tutelage of that rabbi for about a decade and a half. And sitting at the feet of that disciple was called putting on the yoke of the disciple, of the yoke of the rabbi. And Paul was studying at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a very renowned rabbi at the time. And so for Paul to be able to be invited to sit at Gamaliel's feet was quite a privilege and tells us a lot about Paul's mind. He was probably involved in that rabbinical study when Jesus began his public ministry. There was a lot of things he could have seen. He understood the Old Testament backwards and forwards, but he did not believe in Jesus while he was on the earth. When Jesus knocked Paul off of his donkey and onto his posterior, off one A and onto another A. Okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to say it. You know what I was thinking. His eyes, Paul's eyes began to open when he, and he saw what he had been previously unable to see. We find that once there was disciples after Jesus had died, they were walking from one place to another and somebody joins them. 
and they it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Again, in his resurrection body, he wasn't instantly recognizable. He begins to talk to them, and they begin to talk about what's been going on. And he says, what's been going on? Boy, there was a big thing. And he goes, what big thing? Jesus, oh, boy, there was an execution. And what ends up happening? And this is what it says. I'll read in Luke 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so what Jesus is doing, he is opening the scriptures to them, causing them to see in the pages of the Old Testament what they had been unable to see. It goes on, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They didn't want the lesson to stop. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And what they were able to understand is in opening and seeing what they were previously unable to see, it set their hearts on fire. And that's what happens when you see things that previously they were unable to see. It's why Jesus focused so much on remaining. You don't see the things of God quickly. It takes time. In fact, this is what Jesus said to Jews who believed him. They believed him. They said, we think you are who you say you are. And this is what he said to them. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, remain in it. Keep it. Make room for it. If you do that, because that's what a disciple does when he sits at the feet of a rabbi. He doesn't just accept the rabbi. He sits at the rabbi's feet and directs questions, learns about what that's what Jesus is encouraging them to do. See me as your rabbi. At that time, Jesus would probably have been about 30. The age is when... People became rabbis. That's what he invited them. And Jesus went on. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When will we know the truth? Jesus said, when you hold his teaching in your mind. It's not once and done. It's not a instantaneous bam. That's not the way it works. It's a progressive thing. You see a little bit more and a little bit more the way it feels to me is that something clears out. You see something clearly, and when that thing clears out, like an an understanding, and we'll talk about later on, what's the message of the cross? When that becomes clear, reconciliation, that opens up some room, and then you end up looking through that and seeing God a little more clearly. And when you understand, and the clearer you can see him, it does set your heart on fire. To see God as he is, is tremendously compelling. When we don't see him clearly, it kind of it feels like a weight. 
like a drag. To see him clearly is, is very, very compelling. Um, we assume we see God clearly in our time. I'm not just talking about us. I'll talk about America in particular. Well, maybe just our time. Um, the numbers of divisions that exist in the church evidences that there's a lot of human wisdom at work. <coughs> Again, I don't think we can turn the clock back. And so I'm not, I'm not detonating anybody. I'm not saying come here and we'll get ready. No, I, I think it's too late. We, we are in a place where culturally, what I'd say, the number of divisions in the church doesn't bode well for our accessing divine wisdom. Okay. Um, divine wisdom, what is it like? It's associated with, as Paul talks about it, divine wisdom, the more you see it, the more you see good news and free gifts. That's what is associated with divine wisdom. To look at God and to see earned rewards, everybody sees that. I've got to be good and then God will like me. You don't need to be taught to see that. But what Paul ends up saying, look what he says in verse 9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, when it describes this, I was talking with Sheila last week, and we were talking about the fact that that's applied to heaven. But it's not talking about heaven only. It's talking about God's purposes in general can't imagine what God has designed, not just heaven, but what his purposes are. They're not altogether clear. And what the Spirit does is he makes those purposes so that we can see them a little more clearly. And if the Spirit doesn't reveal them, we're not going to understand them. They're too amazing. But to the degree you see them, it starts to set your heart on fire. Um, Paul went on talked about now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. To see divine wisdom is to see God giving gifts, not rewards. To see God giving rewards, we understand rewards from a worldly perspective. In a divine level, to see God clearly is to see him giving gifts. Um, and part of the issue, that's good news and bad news. <laughs> Because he gives free gifts to us. That's really good news. The kind of bad news is he also gives good gifts to them. Them. A free gift. They're not earned. Um, what are the indicators of access to divine wisdom? How can you tell? How could we tell the degree to which we are accessing divine wisdom? Are there any indicators? Does our face light up? Do our hearts feel like they're on fire? That's one thing, but is that what we look for? What it says in the, the text, James, James says, Who is wise and understanding? This is Jesus' half-brother. No, same mother, not the same father. Yeah. Yeah. Who is wise among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That, this is not the wisdom 
that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Who is wise and understanding among you? The reason why he asks it is because James is addressing home churches, house churches that are at war with each other. They are claiming, as was the case in Corinth, different house churches as being better places. Wisdom exists here, not at that person's end. They're involved in a tug of war. And the reason for the tug of war, they indicate, is because they are trying to defend wisdom. You know, we are wise and that guy is not, so come to our church. And what James ends up indicating is that um, it's not really about wisdom then. Or it is about wisdom, but wisdom from the wrong direction, because there's two kinds of wisdom. There's human and divine. There's one that comes from above and one that comes from below. And what he says is, if you harbor bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, what that is, jealousy is really, it's more like zeal. In fact, that's the word, zealous. It's zeal. And so what these teachers were, were zealous. They cared about the truth. They really cared. <laughs> but not only zealous, but the selfish ambition, it is a factioning, campaigning spirit, like a political, a political spirit. What was happening is they were zealous, and what they would do is they would pull individuals toward their little house church and away from others. And when you have that type of sectarian splitting, come here, don't go there, what he describes then, when you have that, when you have zeal, people doing a tug of war with other people to have them come to their place, because this is a better place to be, there you have disorder and every vile practice. Sometimes evangelism isn't really evangelism. It's recruiting. And what he says is that is an evidence not of wisdom from above, but wisdom from below. Of course, that doesn't exist in our time, so we can just you know, let this go. I mean, that there's some some place this probably happens, but not. Um, James gets to the heart, nature of divine wisdom. Says by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is not evidenced by what you know; it's evidenced by how you treat others. That's what it indicates. Wisdom fuels gentleness. If there's wisdom. There will be gentleness. That's what James indicates. It uh, goes on to describe what gentleness looks like. What does gentleness look like in action? He throws some words at it. Peaceable. To be peaceable is the opposite of being combative and pugilistic. It's not being a debater. Um, gentle. The word gentle literally means to look for areas of agreement. 
to look for common ground. That's what the word means, to, to find areas of like-mindedness. It's the opposite of you're there and I'm over here. That's not this word. With this word, it's describing not someone who builds walls, but someone who builds bridges between one another. And that's what we find when Paul deals with the individuals in Greece, where they were in a think tank and and they believed all these crazy things. And Paul comes up to them and he goes, I can see that you're very religious. Because I see all kinds of statues all over the city. And so you must be very religious people. That's, that is, now what Paul understood is these statues are idols. They're not gods. But what he does do is he says, you care about spiritual things. And that is finding common ground. That's... Uh, gentle, open to reason, to be open-minded, easily persuaded, to not be obstinate, not be set in where you, again, have convictions. But a person who's gentle has the ability to listen to someone else, to listen. We talked about dialogue, through words. That's what James is describing. The wisdom from above does dialogue. There's debate, and there's decision-making, and there's discussion. And those either can be reflective of above or below. Dialogue is something that is more associated with gentleness, with how God, with what wisdom looks like. And again, we talked last week, I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but there's three things that need to be in place by both parties for there to be dialogue. Remember the three threes. Equality. You have to see the other person as an equal. You have to see them as having the ability to say some things. Equality, empathy. When dialogue, for dialogue to occur, each side must have as their goal understanding. If it's judgment, if it's I'm going to prove you wrong, dialogue can occur. It can occur when judgment is in place because dialogue doesn't judge. Again, is there a place for debate? Yeah, but if you want to understand the other person and break down walls, then you've got to be cued into empathy to understand and exploration. It's not just listening to them. It's discussing, well, I see it this way and you see it that way. And what's going to happen in dialogue is you're not going to agree but at least you're going to understand. Oh, I see, you know, you think this and I think that. I'm not trying to be obstinate, but I don't see it the same way you do. That's what happens with dialogue. Um, dialogue, and he talks about being impartial. Impartial is not a real good translation. Literally what it says, the, to be impartial is not to be hypocritical. That's on hypocritos, not hypocritical. And what it means is to be appropriately honest, to not think one thing inside, but say one thing out here. The wisdom from above doesn't pretend. It's not hypocrisy, it's not hypocritical, and it's sincere. The word sincere, again, I, I think it's, it's poorly translated. It's, it's not judgmental. That's what it says. Uh, the absence of judgment. And so you don't classify and categorize people as bad. And yeah, so that's divine wisdom 
builds bridges. The wisdom from above builds bridges. And the wisdom from below builds walls. That's why Paul is concerned about what's happening in Corinth. They have divided the church into quarters, built walls between those who are from Paul, those Cephas, those... And we are... Again, we've talked about the fact that we are about 10,000 times worse off than they were. We were both... No, but I told you this before... I think it says in Wikipedia, 41,000 Christian denominations. Paul was concerned about the church dividing into quarters. And we have divided into 41,000 different little places. It's probably not a real good evidence of a lot of divine wisdom at work, is it, over the course of the years? Again, I'm not detonating us, just observing. Just observing. Um, what's the problem? Why is human wisdom so prevalent? There are two wisdoms. And part of the deal is there are two spirits. That's what Paul says in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Paul talks about two spirits, two, two spirits. Not just one, two the spirit of the world, and the spirit who is from God. Apparently, we are innervated and directed by the spirit of the world until and unless we become innervated progressively by the spirit of God. This is not flipping a switch. It's not world spirit. It's, it's a process of remaining, seeing clearly, and in seeing God clearly, good news, good gift, the balance shifts from one spirit to another. That's the way it feels to me. It's not binary. It's, it's progressive. So if you are at a place where you say, Mike, I don't think I'm getting this. I'm getting it a little bit, but I'm not seeing it as much as I'd like to. You know what? You're probably in a good spot. If you think, oh, yeah, I used to, but I'm totally on. No, no, it's not the way it works. It's progressive. That's why we say keep coming back. We'll continue to talk about this stuff because it's not going to change overnight. It just doesn't work that way. Um, there's two spirits. What is spirit? What is spirit? Without attempting a profound definition, uh, spirit is something that influences us. Would you agree? What happens when somebody is inhabited by a spirit, biblically, they change. The spirit influence is determinative. It changes a person and if they were acting this way, it causes them to act in a distinctive way. Spirit is something that influences us. It influences us from a spiritual perspective. Spirit influences the way we look at God. That's what spirit does. Spirit influences the way we look at God. The way we look at God will lead either to human wisdom 
or divine wisdom. Because there are not just one spirit, there are two. And they're both religious. The spirit of the world and the spirit who is from God. Um, what it, 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 I was trying to think of an illustration, and it might be able to, like computers. So our brain is maybe like a computer's processor. Again, some of you are going to come up with way better things than me with this, but I, but maybe that's one way to see it. The brain is like a processor, and then the spirit is like the operating system that ends up affecting how information is processed. And at any rate, however we see it, there is a difference between how we view God, ourselves, and others, depending on if we are in contact with the spirit of the world or the spirit who is from God. And again, it's going to be either one of the two. One of the two. Um, what's the difference between the spirit of the world and the spirit who is from God? That's a good question, isn't it? Difference between the spirit of the world and the spirit who is from God. I'm going to suggest it's a matter of depth and intimacy. The spirit reveals God's deep thoughts. You might not be able to see that very well. That's a bathysphere. A bathysphere is a, a submarine vehicle that dives deep under the surface of the water, to see things deep within the water. In fact, that word bathysphere comes from a Greek word that is used of what the spirit is accessing. It, the spirit searches the bathos of God. What that means, the bathos of God is the deep things of God. So, you know what the, you know what the spirit is like? The Spirit is like that. When we consider that the water is God, there are some things that seem to be apparent about God from the surface. What the Spirit accesses are those realms of God that cannot be easily seen. The deep things of God. That is what the Spirit does. The Spirit does not convict of sin. The Spirit reveals the deep things of God. That's what, the, that's what a Spirit does. You can know some things about me from seeing me. But unless and until you get to know what's in my Spirit, you really don't know me, do you? That's the way it is with God. The Spirit of the world, it's how God appears to be. The spirit who is from God, we end up discovering what God is like deep inside. When you think of an individual, say, of a casual relationship, I know you to see you. Hi, how you doing? Nice to see you. By the way, that often happens. I am not the most observant person in the world. I can be going here or there, and I'm all tied up in what I'm doing, and people pass by me, and, and I just don't even see them. Remember Joel Fredrickson? He was kind of following me around. He was in high V, and I just didn't see him. And he was right there, and, and he, Mike. And, you know, naturally I can't hear. So he goes, Mike, Mike, Mike. 
And so finally, I, I tap in. Um, there's a reason why I talked about that. This usually ends up happening. Okay, now I got it. Um, so, but if I sit down with you, like what happens in counseling or spiritual direction, I get to know you, and I get to know you inside, and you might get to know me a little bit better. Well, you know what ends up happening in a close relationship? Inside things get shared. Isn't that what intimacy is about? Intimacy? When inside things are shared, deep things? Do you know what the Spirit does? Allows you to be intimate with God. That's what the Spirit is, the Spirit of intimacy. The Spirit who accesses the deep things of God makes what is not apparent more recognizable. Why would God do that? Because he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know what exists deep within him. And as you get to know that progressively, it will set your heart on fire. Again, not that you'll always be mood altered. That's not what the Spirit does. But you will see God more clearly. Um, Paul is saying this, we have received the spirit of, not of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that they will know who to listen to. What he says in verse 13, we impart this, what? What's this? Spirit things, bathos things about God. We impart these things, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, because the Spirit accesses the bathos of God. And if you're going to know deep things about God, it's because you hear from the Spirit. That's the way it works. Um, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, folly. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The, spirit per the spiritual person judges all things. There's a lot of people who claim to speak on... God's behalf who misspeak. When it talks about interpreting, it's the same word that was used about Daniel. Remember when Daniel interpreted the king's dreams? Joseph. Remember Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams? There was some words there. He couldn't really understand what they meant, how they applied. And so... Daniel and Joseph interpreted those so that they could be seen. That's the way Paul saw himself. There are things in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that people looked at all the time but really couldn't see. Well, Paul saw himself as one whom, because the Spirit, he learned to recognize the deep things. What he was able to do is what Jesus did to those individuals who were on the road. Open the scriptures. That's what Paul did. He opened the scriptures, interpreted, helped them to understand. That's why you come here on a Sunday morning. What we talk about, talk about the scriptures. And there's all kinds of stuff that happens. It would seem to me the significant thing, the most important, the things, reason why songs exist and fellowship exists and messages ex exist is there are two wisdoms and two spirits. And as we understand what the Spirit of God communicates about the deep things of God. 
it will influence you because spirit influences the way we look at things. Not maybe, it does. We are influenced by one of two spirits. One of two. We... Paul saw his purpose as interpreting the message. The Spirit was, re- was revealing to the world about God. He understood it and understood that, that there are differences. What's the difference between the Spirit of the world and the Spirit who is from God? Look what it says in Romans 8. You do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. So what do we learn about in this text? Really good passage about the difference between the spirit of the world and the spirit who is from God. What we learn is this. The spirit of the world is the spirit of slavery. You relate to God as a master, and you are his slave. And you don't have the sense of a permanent place in the family. There's insecurity there and fear. That's the spirit of the world. It promotes the sense that God is your master, and you better obey him. Okay, how about the spirit who is from God? It's a spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A relationship of security. A spirit of slavery is a spirit of spiritual insecurity. You can't be a slave and have a secure contact with your master. You just It's not possible. You could be dispatched and sent out of the house. The spirit of Sonship is different. Um, You say, so what? I think the spirit of the world promotes judgment. When we're insecure, we get nervous and point things out. We we don't feel good about ourselves. We we see thoughts and feelings in ourselves that that we we start to well, we go to war with ourselves. We start to be at odds with ourselves. You know what James ends up saying? The reason why we have external conflict is because we have internal conflict. It's the way we're looking at ourselves, our relationship with ourselves. To the degree we believe that we are reconciled with God, what God communicates that to us is so that we'll be reconciled with ourselves. If God's not mad at you, you shouldn't be mad at you. That feels dangerous, doesn't it? That's what the Spirit of God promotes. And if you don't go to war with yourself, guess what ends up happening with your relationship to yourself? When you're not at war with yourself, you become more, more gentle with yourself. Gentle with yourself. You know what happens when you become more gentle with yourself? 
you become gentle with others. If you're harsh with others, you are harsh with yourself. And I'm not pointing a bing long bony finger. I'm not. It's what we deal with. It's what we deal with. Just to let you know what's up with us. External conflict evidences internal conflict. Evidences, to that degree, human wisdom. Holding them at arm's length. No, you're not getting close. The Spirit promotes... The Spirit judges judgment. The Spirit judges judgment. Those terrible things you say to yourself inside... The Spirit would influence you to stop. That's what He'll do. Again, overnight is it going to happen? No, it is not. Gradually, slowly, you'll develop an increased sense of tolerance and gentleness with yourself. Again, that feels dangerous. But you know what? It's the way God operates. Um, the difference between the Spirit of the world and the Spirit who is from God, why should we care? Because there's the difference between the fruit of the Spirit. On that left, I want you to make that a small s. Because again, there are two spirits, right? Right? One, the Spirit who is from God, that would be a small s spirit. Spiritual. Not big s spirit, small s spirit. And the Spirit of Sonship is the fruit of the capital S spirit, right? There's a small s and a large s. A spirit of the world and the spirit who is from God. Look what it says in Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You know what I'm going to call these things that I'm going to read? The fruit of the smallest spirit. Why should we care about this? Why? Because when we, and to the degree we are innervated by the spirit of the world, this is what's going to come out. Not maybe, it will. Works of the flesh, the fruit of the smallest spirit are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, Orgies, things like these. What do all these things have in common? This. Okay, let's say if then you see yourself in some of these words. Anybody see themselves in any of these words? Some of them feel like they should have a capital. Sexual immorality. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Idolatry, you know, but there's, you know, the, the, you know, the interesting thing? They're all the same case. They all come from the same place. Let's say you wanted to be less angry. You should point to yourself, right? Talk about how lousy you are, right? Really go to war with yourself. That's going to help, isn't it? Right? Go to battle with yourself. Talk to yourself about how Stupid you are. How stupid that part of you is. That'll do it, right? 
Now, you know what that'll do? That'll get you more tied up. That's the spirit of the world. Go to war with yourself. The spirit who is from God, there is the fruit of that spirit. Talks about, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can't legislate love. That's what it means. The war inside of us needs to stop. Needs to. He's not at war with you. Why are you at war with yourself? You say, because I need to be. No, you don't need to be. No, you don't. You say, but what happens if I don't want what it says to the degree you receive the influence of the Spirit of God? It will change you. Love, joy. How many? More loving? Yeah, that'll mean that. Mm-hmm. Yep. More joyful, peaceful. Hmm? Anybody up for that? Patient? Anybody like to ramp up patience a little bit? How about kindness? Anybody like to be more characterized by goodness? How about faithfulness? How about gentleness? How about self-control? It comes from the same place. It comes from there. It doesn't come from here. That's what Paul's saying. There are two wisdoms. And there's two spirits. Okay. Say, okay, Mike, I'm in. I'm in. Okay, I'd like to experience the power of the Spirit of God. How do, I, how do we do that? You will need to experience the power of the cross. Okay, how do we do that? The power of the cross and the message of the cross need to be accurate. If you don't understand what the message of the cross is, you will not experience the power of the cross. Getting the message wrong empties the cross of power. That's what Paul says. That's what's surprising. The the cross be emptied of power. How in the world does that happen? That's what he says. It's It's emptied of power. What does emptied of power mean? It means emptied of power. It can't, it can't do anything. It's, it doesn't work. It's not doing anything. It's not able to change. Why? How could that be so? That's what he says. That's what's surprising about this. Okay. I wanted to turn the, the cross on. How would I do that? Understand the message. What is the... Okay. What is the message of the cross? What's that? Oh, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. You know what many think? The message of the cross is the message of retribution. God judging us and getting us back by beating up his son. That's not the message of the cross. It's not. The message of the cross is the message of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. We've talked about this verse. Tell you what, if you're going to commit any verse to memory, this might be one of them. Why would you say that, Mike? Because 
If you get the message of the cross, the power of the cross is access. You could memorize this, couldn't you? Look at it. That's not that much. Look at it. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. What was God doing in Christ at the cross? Reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling means to change a relationship from enmity to one of peace and goodwill. God was reconciling what to himself? Oh, not the world. Us, right? Us. (laughs) In this part of the world. God was reconciling the world to himself. Does that mean everybody in the world is saved? No. Because what you have, what do you have to do? You have to make room for it. You have to, you have to think about it and, and believe it. It has to kind of fall into your mind and change the way you think. It's like raindrops on high, hard, crusty ground. It's, you can't do this in a deluge. It's not possible. It's got to be, you've got to hear it over time and it starts to soften. It starts to change the way you think about him. Spirit words end up making more sense. The fruit of the smallest spirit starts to become the fruit of the largest spirit. That's the way it works. And it becomes, because this is the message, the message of the cross is the message of reconciliation. Um, be transformed by making room for this. And if you do, ask the worship team to come up. Here's what's going to happen. What you're going to find is that you will move away from judging yourself and others, which is the fruit of the small s spirit. It's why things go so cattywampus and hey, envy. It's just we got to we can't live in our own skin. Do you understand that that's what addiction is? It's not being able to live in our own skin. The spirit. Judges judgment, and you find that, yeah, if you gentle with yourself, you're gentle with others, and because you're understanding how God views you and believing it. Father, thank you for your word, and help us to understand what it means and how it applies. Uh, so that we could be characterized by divine wisdom, and so that we could be led by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Go Vikings. (laughs) (laughs) I finished praying. I didn't didn't pray for the Vikings. It was at the end of the prayer.